Let's just bow our heads a moment. Again, Father, we bow before you, acknowledging that we come to your word, your truth. And we ask for help to understand your word, your truth, and to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Not so it's not a theoretical exercise. We listen and we hear and say, very good, and so on. But don't, it doesn't affect us. Lord, may your word affect us this morning for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, apart from if you're a visitor, if you're a regular attender here, you will know that uh, two weeks ago um, I was here and looked, we looked at Lamentations uh, chapter 3. And Lamentations chapter 3 is situated in what is a horrendous time in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had to preach to a people that were going into exile, the Lord's people, they had sinned, they had gone after other idols, other gods, and God said, right, that's enough, enough's enough, and he put them out of his land. And it was a terrible time. And he himself was treated very badly because they didn't like the message. They wanted a nice message. They wanted peace, peace. And um, Jeremiah said, well, that's not what God says. And God is going to deal with you severely. And so he went through a tough time. He really did. There were precious promises given to him that there would be a restoration and, and so on. And he wrote the book of Lamentations. And you think, dear me, that doesn't sound a very nice book. It sounds a miserable book. And there are lots of hard things there. But in the middle of, in the middle of um, these uh, bad things, there's some lovely little promises and lovely little verses. And one of the verses we know ever so well is, Great is thy faithfulness. And that's there in Lamentations chapter 3. So we looked at it over the last few weeks. And as I say, two weeks ago, um, we looked at... This little verse in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. We dealt a little with that, that God gives us blessings and gifts and many things, but the best thing, the greatest thing that God gives us is himself, is himself. He gives us himself. The Lord is my portion. And we looked at that. I said there was another side to that. I likened it to a, a coin with two sides, obviously. And I said this is a, a gold sovereign. Right? It's gold and it's sovereign because it's to do with God. It's two-sided. And uh, what I said was that the Lord is our portion. But then amazingly, we are his portion. Right? So we possess the Lord the Lord possesses us. And so we, we uh, have uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 32.9, for the Lord's portion is his people. And Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So I thought uh, to finish that off, all right, and look a little at the Lord, um, we being the Lord's portion. But then last week, because of, of illness uh, of a certain Mr. Thomas, um, Gary and I had to step in. Uh, when I say at last notice, it was up past nine in the morning. But anyway, God was good, and uh, we were able to arrive. So we dealt with Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You don't need to turn to it, because I'll read it, read it to you, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But this is what Paul wrote to the Philippian believers. 
been confident of this very thing, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a great verse. It's a standard verse uh, explaining what we call the final perseverance of the saints. That God's people, who are truly his people, truly been converted, truly been born again, they will continue. They will persevere because God will see to it that they will by his spirit. And we spend most of the time, to be honest, looking at uh, this work of God, this God who done a good work in us. And most of the time we, we dealt with that. And we didn't really go on to finish uh, the we'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We'll complete it. So I did think, now should I go back to last week and finish that off? But then we still haven't finished Lamentations. What a dilemma. And then... It came to me that actually, if we finished briefly Lamentations, brought out the main truth of that, uh, of the, the other side of the coin, then we could actually apply it to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Now you say, are you sure? Well, I don't know. But it's not very clever, right? It's very simple, as you'll come to see in a minute. So it's not complicated, so bear with me, bear with me. So what I'm going to try and do is just finish off Lamentations 3, right, about the, the, the Lord, uh, Lord's portion of his people, and then bring that to Philippians chapter 1 and see then how God completes his work uh, in us. Okay. So, Deuteronomy 3, 9 says, The Lord's portion is his people. I belong to him, he belongs to me. He belongs to me, I belong to him. Now, this is, this is a precious, precious truth. In a sense, it's basic, particularly in the Old Testament, and it's brought into the New, in the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament. How often have we read this phrase concerning the people of God in the Old Testament? I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will be my people. I will be their God. Now, it's nice to see the little ones here this morning. And we've got an additional little one up in the back there looking at me as she should, of course. And it's lovely to see you. And uh, if I didn't know you, I might say to you at the end of the series, oh, it's nice to see you. Uh, who do you belong to? And then you'd your name her. And you say, oh, I belong to so-and-so. Oh, all right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I know your mother. Oh, yes. Okay. When I was a little lad, I grew up in a little village in Wales, and people would say to me, whose boy are you then? And I would say, Stuart Lysham. Ah, is it? We know Stuart. And my dad was known in the village. Sadly, for not the best reason. Not that he was a bad man, necessarily, but because he was very ill. And everybody knew him because he had TB, tuberculosis, and he was in and out of hospital. So people knew whom I brought. Ah, oh, they, they think, oh, yeah, I know this. I know his dad. Yeah, I know. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Now, we who are believers in the Lord Jesus belong to God. We really do. Right? We really do. He is ours. We are 
his. And so often in the Old Testament, it's the basis for God saying, now listen, this is the way you should live. This is the way you should behave. Because I am your God and you are my people. And because I am your God and you are my people, I don't want you going after other gods. Other people do. They don't worship Jehovah. They don't worship the God of the covenant. They don't worship the Lord God of Israel. They go after other gods. You are not to do that. You're not to do what other people do. Because you're my people, and therefore you must worship only me. And there's a strange expression used in the Old Testament. God says that he's a jealous God. Now we think of jealousy as something nasty. We're jealous of somebody who got something that we haven't. Jealous this, that, and the other. My girls always used to quarrel about what somebody else had. One of the other door sisters. I'm sure you're not like that, are you? She got that doll and I haven't got it. He's got that toy and I haven't got it. And they would quarrel. And you were jealous. Now sometimes that can be nasty. But on, when God is jealous, it's a holy jealousy. It's a righteous jealousy because he's jealous for those that he has brought to himself and they belong to him and he does not want them wandering off elsewhere. You're not to go after other gods. And the big thing that God said to his people as he brought them out of Egypt and through the wilderness and they're going into the promised land, this wonderful land that God would give them, he said, now listen, when you go into that land, don't be like those people who worship these other gods. Have no other gods before me. Ten Commandments. You are my people. I am your God. God's people are his inheritance. It's a wonderful thought. He is our inheritance. We are his inheritance in a strange and wonderful way. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus prayed to his Father, John 17. And he prays for his people. And he uses various descriptions to describe these people. And one of the descriptions he gives as he prays for these people, all right, verse 6, for example, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. Whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. So here's the Lord Jesus. He's praying for these people who are disciples, who are believers, who have come to trust in him as their, their Lord. He says, listen, I'm praying for them. Because you gave them to me. They belong to you. You gave them to me. They were yours. Now they're mine. And he prays for them. That was verse 6. Verse 9 says something similar. I pray for them. I don't pray for others at this time. But I pray for them. Because you have given them to me. Now I'm sure there's a purpose in this emphasis here. Uh, just bear with me. You have given them to me. Verse 10, and all that you've given me are mine, and all mine are yours, and I'm glorified in them. All mine belong to you, and all that belong to you belong to me. This is amazing. Father, son, the relationship they have, and these people are shared, if you like, 
between the Father and the Son, and of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 24, which is amazing. He says, Father, I will also that they whom you have given me be with me that they may behold my glory. All you've given me, I want you to keep them. I want you to keep them until they get to glory and they can see glory. All that you've given to me, I want you to keep and look after them. Now, it's almost the basis of his prayer there, as if he is saying, Father, you need to look after these people because, after all, they are yours. They are yours. Now, forgive me if there's a little few personal references here. I love to see little girls, in the best sense of the word, because I had three little girls. They're not very little now, mind, but don't tell them I said that. Right? They, uh, I had three little girls. And then those three little girls grew up, and they had three little girls. And then, now one of them, one of them, right, one of the boys, married a woman, obviously, um, thankfully, and uh, she now has had a little girl. So I've got a great granddaughter. I love little girls. I love to see them. They're so pretty. Now, of course, they, that's the thing is they grow up, don't they? And you know, when you grow up, right? But there's something about them. Because there's a belonging. There's a belonging. Now, it's nice to see other little girls, but I have to tell you, don't be offended, my little girls are the best little girls. There's nobody like my little girls. Well, you would say that when you yes. Now, we've got to get this, because it's so important. Jesus is saying, Father, because they are yours, you've given them to me. Thank you for that. But you need to keep them. You need to help me to keep them. Because if you don't keep them, they'll be lost. They cannot keep themselves. They haven't got the resources to keep themselves. They will fall. They will fail. They will make mistakes. And you need to help me to pick them up and start again. Back, and obviously this is for the, for the girls. I used to take my granddaughter to charity shops in Hove. Do you go to charity shops? Are you allowed to go to charity shops? Do you go to charity shops? No? Do you go to, no? 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 Do they go to charity shops? They do. Oh. Right. Right. And we used to go to charity shops. And this little girl, Rebecca, her name was, uh, she'd go in and she saw something. Perhaps a, perhaps a pound. She said, oh, I like that, granddaughter. How much money you got? 50p. Now, I don't know how clever your girls are, but if something costs a pound and you've only got 50p, can you afford to buy it? No, you're absolutely right. You can't afford to buy it. So she couldn't afford to buy it. So I said, how much have you got? 50p. Oh. So what are you going to do then? Oh, you will know about this. 
granddad smiling her. You are, he's 50 year old. Now, they haven't got the resources. Same with us. We haven't got the resources to keep ourselves. Left ourselves. We wouldn't keep ourselves. But thank God, our Heavenly Father has abundant resources and can and will keep us. We are His. We are the Lord's portion and the, uh, from eternity. This is big. What about a theology? Let me give it to you. Before the foundation of the world, before God created the world, he had his people in mind and set his heart and his love upon them for all eternity. So let's come back to Philippians. Here Paul says, he who began a good work in you will perform it. He will complete it. Why will he complete it? Because he's willed to complete it. He's determined in his purposes to keep that child of God whom he has chosen, whom, for whom Christ has shed his precious blood, in whom the Holy Spirit has worked sovereignly, irresistibly. He has determined he will perform that work. He will carry it out to completion. Now, there are a few gentlemen amongst us I'm going to ask you a very pertinent question. Are there jobs in your house you haven't finished? You always say, oh, never. The back there? Never. I always finish a job. Well, how can, I, how can I say this? I confess. I have jobs I've never finished. I made a little cabinet, a little, supposedly, a bedroom, bedside cabinet, right top of the drawer. And after 30 years, my wife said, are you ever going to finish that? Mm, I don't know. I think I'll put it in the shed. Unfinished. But it's all right in the shed. I can put stuff in it. Now, all right then. What about you ladies? Just to prove I'm not sexist, have you ever started knitting? And you haven't finished it. You haven't finished it. Because it, oh, it got a bit awkward, it got a bit difficult. My, my daughter's mother was very good sewing, and so is she, but she didn't like sewing buttons on. So she'd bring it, bring it up to us and say, Ma'am, can you do me a favor, my son? Can you put the buttons on this card? Because they're very little, small and intricate. Okay, so she would Now, you might say, I've never started a work that I haven't finished. Well, you're a better man than me, Gangadin. But lots of us do. For various reasons. We run out of money. We run out of resources. We run out of desire. Oh, I just can't be bothered anymore. Just check it where nobody can see it. God is not like that. He has begun a good work in you. Will continue it. He will perform it. He will finish it off. And he will do a proper job. Because that is what God is like. He was willed to do it. Part of his purposes of grace, he wills to do it. And the other great thing is that he wants to do it. He wants to finish the job. He wants to bring it to completion. He, his desire is toward his people. He wants to see you progress. 
He wants to see you increase in holiness and godliness and in love towards himself. He wants you to continue and finish the course. That's his desire. I'm so grateful that the Lord doesn't get fed up with me. I'm sure there are people who get fed up with me. Even though he knows me. Even though he sees me. Even though he... I, I'm, I'm sure I put it reverently. He must say, oh, why have you failed again? Why have you done that? You know you shouldn't. Why are you so foolish? And yet, graciously, he'll come to me and restore me and bless me and remind me I am his child. We love the story of the prodigal son. If there's something to matter with you, if you don't love that story, and there's lots of things to it. Uh, but I have this, I have somebody preached this here not so long ago, months ago, but what I, I think it was Bernard Lewis. What I love about it is the thought of this father going to the edge of the farm, assume it's the farm, and he leans on the gate and he looks down the track every morning to see if the son is coming back. Prodigal son. We don't know how long he was away. Was it a month? Was it six months? Was it a year? Was it five years? We don't know. But I'd like to think, and I know I'm stretching my imagination a little bit here, but I'd like to think of him going down and leaning on the gate and thinking, is this the day my boy's coming home? And then one day he goes down. He's leaning on the gate. Going through the usual things and all the emotions there. And he sees a character coming along the track. Oh. Is that my boy? Is that my boy? I don't know. He says, Scraggy, he's lost weight. I used to go home to Wales to see my mother. One of the first things she said was, Carl, you've lost weight. I'll call you put on weight. That's one of the first things you say. Mothers notice these things. He, look, he, he looks awful. If that is, it could be a tramp. Come looking for an hand out. A hand or whatever. But I don't know. Is that, is that my boy? He's coming up. And the closer he gets, there's a smell about him. He didn't have a chance to book into the Premier Inn, you see, and clean himself up on the way up. He's smelling, because he's just come from the pigsty where he worked. He's smelling, and he looks filthy, and he's, he's oh. He sees him coming up. And the Bible says, and this is Jesus talking, when he was yet afar off, the father ran to him. Oh, it's, 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 so, it's so great because Jesus is telling it. It's not one of the disciples making up a nice little illustration for, for preaching purposes. Jesus is telling it. And nobody knows the heart of the Father but the Son. And the Son, the Father. And he runs. And he runs. One of the first things I do, and I'm sure others are the same, when I see my daughters or granddaughters, I give them a big hug. 
I'm sure you do that. It's normal, it's natural. Big hug. Big hug. In Welsh, we call it a coach. It's better than a hug, right? Like the English cat do. English hug. It's a coach. And it's a big hug. That's what you do. And most of the time, they smell sweetly. Not always. Particularly if they're little. Do you want her back a minute and see to her? Then I'll have her back. Here's this father. Here's this boy. He's filthy. He's drubby, draggled, and he smells. And the father's here. And he runs. And he says, hold on. Come out of the door and out. Right. And then he holds him. Arms about him. Arms your compassion. And he hugs him and kisses him. This is my son. My son's come home. He's come home to his dad. Now Jesus tells that story in answer to deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who sees Jesus talking to sinners and said, oh, tut, tut, tut. how can he be a prophet and a holy man if he talks to sinners? Tut, 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 tut. Because he saw that Jesus just didn't just talk to them, he welcomed them. Because that's the kind of saviour he is. He knows how dirty and filthy we are, if not outwardly, inwardly. And we're all filthy and dirty inside when it comes down to basics. But he loves sinners. And he embraces sinners in a spiritual sense. Because this is the Father's heart for them. He's not doing something contrary to the will of his God, his Father, because that's why he's come. The Father has sent him to seek and to save that which was lost. He's not doing anything contrary to what his Father wills. He's obeying the Father's will. He's doing the Father's will, and he's glad to do it. But there will be a cost. There will be a cost. There will be a cost to him in that, in order for sinners to be forgiven and cleansed and become part of the family, that the Father might have them as a portion, and they have the Father as a portion, there's a cost, and it's a great cost. It's the ultimate cost. Because in a spiritual sense, Jesus has to take our filth upon himself. Our filth, our filthy rags of righteousness. And he has to suffer as a substitute for sinners. There's no bigger, greater, more wonderful cost than Jesus doing that in accordance with the Father's will. Now, here's the question. Would God go to all that trouble, if I may say so? Would the Lord Jesus go through all that agony to have a people and then to lose them along the way? Can you really? That, that cannot be right. I know there are folk who say, and some of them are sincere, well, you know, uh, you, yes, God saved you, but you can lose your salvation because of what you do, what you don't do. Well, yes. But where's God in that? The God who planned this salvation surely has planned to keep those for all, all those for whom the Savior has done. There's not going to be one loss. 
Not one will be lost. Of those who are generally saved, converted, there will be not one lost. The Lord Jesus won't go around heaven and say, Father, are they all here? I can't see so and so. I can't see so and so. Where are they? Have you lost them? There will be none that should be there that won't be there. God will see to it. He wills that it will be done. He wants it because they are his portion. They belong to him. And he belongs to them. This is a great salvation, is it not? Is there anything better, greater in the whole of the Bible than this? I will be their people. I will be their God. They will be my people. Who do you belong to? Well, Stuart Lyshen. Hmm. How much of a father is he? He never said that to me, mind. But if they had said, does he give you any treats? No, he didn't. Does he take you on holiday? Not really. Does he do things for you? Well, no. I mean, because he can't. I'm sure he would if he could, but he can't. No, believer. Let me ask you this. Who do you belong to? Jesus. Pardon? Jesus. Pardon? Jesus, the Lord of glory. I belong to him. Hallelujah. Are you ashamed of belonging to Jesus? Are you ashamed you belong to a sovereign God? What's the matter with you? What's the matter with me? I have a couple of neighbors and they're very keen football fans. One's a Brighton Valvian fan boy and there's uh, Spurs and there's Crystal Palace and there's a Leeds chap even and they'll tell you about their teams and they're proud oh I support the seagulls but I don't they're smelly things ah I, and they tell you about them they're so proud and we are so quiet about Jesus we say so little about him why is that why is that I nearly finished. So, we are the Lord's portion. He is our portion. And because of that, he will complete the work. He will finish the work. And we'll be there in glory. Some things are easier to work on than others. I mentioned this previously. Um, uh, sculpture with, with marble is very difficult, I imagine. Um, with pottery and clay, with wood. Um, some wood is easier to work than hard. And, uh, and sometimes it's so difficult. And it really takes hard work and great skill and wisdom to do a good job and then to bring it to perfection. Thank God he's a master craftsman. And he does a good work. And he continues this good work. Until he says, right, it's time for you to come home. It's time for you to come to me. I've been doing this work from afar, but now, all eternity, you'll see the glory of my work. And you know, the angels in heaven see this. Jesus, talking about the prodigal son and, and the lost coin and the lost sheep, he says, and the angels in heaven rejoice. They look and say, wow, look at that. There's a sinner who's come to the Savior. Isn't that great? Whoa, yeah. 
When you were brought to faith in Christ, there was a party in glory as the angels rejoiced. And every day throughout the world, I'm sure the, the re- angels have reason to rejoice because God is doing a work in this one and that one, in this person and that person. And all over the world, people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And the angels are saying, yeah, 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 more, more, more. So why are you so miserable? Why am I so miserable? A great God. A great portion. A great inheritance. And God will see to it. We'll get to the end. Oh, says someone, Colin, uh, it's nice to hear this stuff, but I'm feeling so weary, I'm feeling so tired, I'm feeling so fed up, I'm, I'm down, and so many problems. You don't know. I don't, I don't know you, really. Deeply. I don't know you. You don't know me. But God does. Your Heavenly Father does. Your Savior does. The Holy Spirit does. And He will continue with you. Through all the difficult days, hard days, troubled days, He will be with you until you say, Come home. Come home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful word of yours. The Lord's portion is his people. And you will complete that work in your people. You cannot fail. You will not fail. Because you're God. The Lord Jesus has prayed for us and continues to pray for us. The Holy Spirit works within us and will continue to work in us. Until that day. May it be so. May we rejoice in this truth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a lovely hymn, 572, that speaks a little bit about these things. 572. Uh, Dear Saviour, thou art mine, how sweet the thought to me. Let me repeat thy name and lift my heart to thee. Mine, 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 I know thou art mine. Saviour, dear Saviour, I know thou art mine. The last verse says, So let me sing thy praise, so let me call thee mine. I cannot doubt thy word. I know that I am thine. Mine, thine, thine, mine. 572.
work that work in our hearts and continue with us. We confess that we don't deserve it. We confess we have failed too often. And yet, Lord, we pray, receive us as prodigals returning to a gracious Father. Put your arms around us and, and embrace us and remind us of your everlasting love, even for such as we. Now, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon God's people here and everywhere until we meet, and then forevermore. Amen.